know who has access to what? This is the Identity at the Center podcast. If you're looking for identity and access management talk, you've come to the right place. And now, on to the show. Welcome to another episode of Identity at the Center. This is the official podcast of me, Jeff Stedman. Jim, I'm hoping it's the official podcast of you as well. Is that right? My one and only podcast, Jeff. So far. But I've been thinking about expanding out to other topics. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I'm surprised you don't do a baseball one, to be honest with me. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear me go off. <laughs> well, I've heard enough of it over the last few years. I'm always interested to hear what's going on in, in Yankee baseball from the great yeah. I watch a lot of it. So, um, hey, Jeff, today we're uh, joined by... Mario Dusai. And I talked about Mario on our very first podcast. People can go back and listen. And I mistakenly said he was from Transmit Security. We later retracted that and corrected that. He's with CallSign. Uh, but we're very fortunate to have Mario on the call today. How you doing, Mario? I'm doing great, Jim. Thanks, guys, for the opportunity to be here. Really excited okay. about it. It's great. Yeah. Um, you and I have worked together for a long time at in the financial services industry and later at Identropy for several years. We were sorry to see you go, but we're glad to have you back for the podcast. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, it's exciting. And, you know, it's a very small space, so uh, people never really leave. You know, we're always going to work together at some uh, at some point in the future. And I'm happy to be working with you again. Yeah, great. So so what have you been doing at Oracle? I mean, uh, call sign. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a lot of job changes. <laughs> uh, so call sign, I'm a solutions architect. You know, so basically I'm responsible for several different things. You know, where I'm helping out on the pre-sale side. So we're doing a lot of, uh, you know, kind of uh, waving a flag about the technology, talking about what we're doing and uh, really trying to uh, you know, get customers interested. In, and then I'm also doing, um, you know, actual architecture. So designing systems, talking to people, and showing customers how this can, uh, how this solution can fit into their environment, and uh, and really bring value to to them, and you know, ultimately secure their environments in a uh, in a better way. So, Mario, if you look at the website, right, there's a tagline that says "Real Time AI Driven Identity and Authentication Solutions that Confirm the User Really Is Who They Say They Are at Work and at Home." What the heck does that mean? That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a whole bunch of stuff. I'm like, what is that? Yeah, so it really is a whole bunch of different things, uh, to be honest with you. And what we're really doing is we're taking the latest in uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence and really threat indicators. Um, and we're, we're guiding users through the most secure and the most appropriate journey to make sure that we're letting the right people in based on all of these things that we, are knowing, that we're, uh, that we know about them. So we're looking at behavior. Uh, we're looking at uh, things about the device. Is there possible malware on the device? Um, we're looking at how they uh, interact with the device. Uh, we're also looking at location and uh, other intelligent feeds that are coming in. And, um, you know, in a split second, really like 50 milliseconds, we're making uh, accurate decisions about their authenticity and, um, and letting them into the systems easily, requiring um, any additional friction where it's necessary. Does that help? I think so. Um, yeah. So, you know, if I've got a phone, right, and I'm logging in, maybe like a bank or something like that, you're taking some of the characteristics of my phone, maybe some of the sensors on it to yeah. help kind of place me and making sure that it's not, you know, just my password is authenticating, but also giving some sort of 
I would imagine there's like a risk um, engine behind the scenes that's providing some sort of, hey, you know what, if you're this level of risk, it's okay. Or if it's not, it's not okay. That kind of thing. Yeah, Jeff, that's a, that's absolutely right. So we're looking at the way that you interact with the device. So, you know, maybe you, you keep your post, I'm sorry, you keep your username and password on a post-it note and somebody can get access to that. And then, you know, a typical system, so long as they're on your device, they can get in. So what we're looking at is the way that somebody's interacting um, with the device. So it's above and beyond the knowledge-based authenticator. So username and password, we're looking at behavior. So we use, uh, we employ a, diff- a series of like, passive authenticators uh, to detect, you know, riskiness and authenticity of the person on the device. And uh, if it looks like it's you, then we let them in. But if it looks like it's me trying to be you with your username and password, then we'll challenge them for, you know, face recognition or fingerprint or something different. You know, there's a plethora of different authenticators we can employ um, when it's necessary. Interesting. How do you, how do you tune that? Or is there like an, an enrollment period? I guess, how do you know what's, how do you know it's me and not just someone who picked up my phone, I guess? Right. Yeah. So first thing is um, we have, uh, we have a a network of models, um, you know, machine learning models, and we're not using averages, so to speak. Uh, Every model that we have is specific to each user. So um, in about, uh, depending on the use case, about five to eight logins, we're seeing that the models are reaching a level of maturity that we have now gathered enough behavioral data about you to make decisions going forward. Uh, so that's the learning period. It's, it's really simple. It's you know, like five to eight, sometimes less, sometimes more. Um, you know, all depends on, you know, different factors. But usually in that window, that's when we have enough data and then we can let somebody in without ever stepping them up again. That sounds very cool. Yeah, I like to think so. Hey, Mario. So what I think is cool about that is, you know, I've always looked at uh, authentication and and as a best practice being a balance of uh, security and usability. And so um, you and I have talked a lot about this offline, which is that you've really got a, a big focus on usability. But obviously, we can't only focus on usability, just make this system easy to use. It also also has to be secure especially when you're talking about systems with um, highly confidential data or uh, where you're doing financial transactions. So, um, but we've talked a lot about this uh, usability and user experience, if you will. And um, you kind of came up with a a top five drivers uh, for a good authentication user experience. I was kind of hoping you could kind of talk through those top five today. I think those would be really valuable for our listeners to hear about. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we can talk about that. Um, really, it's 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 simple. I mean, there's uh, the top five. We'll summarize them, and then we'll uh, you know, get into the details. But uh, um, authentication needs to be fast. Um, it also needs to be easy. Um, accuracy is very important as well. You don't want to you want to make sure that the right people are getting access and not the wrong people. Uh, also needs to be intelligent and needs a level of flexibility. Now, to go back, uh, responsiveness, like uh, the speed of your authentication system, especially when you're looking for the B2C uh, use case, when you're, you're dealing with the external world and you're dealing with customers, you know, the responsiveness of a system is very critical. You know, if it's going to take 
let's say 30 seconds for me to access uh, your bank versus, uh, you know, maybe five seconds for me to access somebody else's bank. And you have fundamentally the same products, you know, the same, uh, uh, the same uh, interest or uh, yeah, the same interest rates and everything else is the same. The only difference is the uh, usability. So if I can get into uh, one system a little bit easier than I can another, you know, that's a competitive advantage. You know, and I may deviate from, you know, working uh, with, with one company because, you know, the system isn't as responsive. It's slow. It's clunky. I'm going to go with another bank that's a little bit more quicker. And it, it, it gets me on with my digital live uh, a lot quicker. Oh, and what are the factors that you think make um, make for fast authentication? Because, you know, this was, as you were talking about it, I was kind of thinking, um, you know, when I authenticate to certain applications here, uh, I'm recording from home, but if I record off or authenticate from um, my home network, it's kind of slow. But if I were at, you know, a public location where they had a, a free Wi-Fi sometimes is extremely fast. So it seems like the speed of my network connection has a big impact, but I think you're talking about something else. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Really talking about the architecture behind the scenes. So, you know, there's, there's everything from the database all the way up and then all the logic that's sitting on that, on that login screen, for example, you know, so there's, there's a lot of layers to it uh, that um, it ultimately lead to a better uh, response time. So is uh, is it your experience that those um, the the logic that needs to sit on the end client that is something that slows down the process? Is that something that's uh, required to give us an idea of what you're talking about there? Yeah, certainly. So you know, responsiveness and and the amount of time that it takes for a system to respond. So if I enter in my credentials, I'm expecting something to uh, to come back to me with a decision very quickly. So all the systems that are kind of be sitting behind that login screen, they, they really need to be running at an internet scale. You know, you, you have to be able to architect the systems to really minimize um, any sort of bottlenecks. So there could be bottlenecks on, on a database, there could be bottlenecks you know, on, the, on the UI design. There can even be bottlenecks um, with the challenges that uh, you're asking me to go through during an authentication process. Right. So there's there's not only the, the speed, the responsiveness, but then also the challenges that I'm having to go through to get into a system. So if we can find a way to, one, make sure that the systems powering all these decisions are um, scalable, right, that they're uh, that they respond quickly and they can handle you know, a high volume of requests at once. That's going to be important. But then also not making everybody, uh, let's say, go to an SMS token for every authentication or every time I go from home to, to work, now I have to you know, do a thumbprint or a face scan. So it's using, um, you know, it's intelligently um, authenticating me and it's only stepping me up when it's required. So there's, there's really two, two aspects that I look at for you know, the, the quickness of an authentication system. So I've got a question, Mario. Um, how much does the level of encryption of a password have an impact on how fast an authentication would be? So, for example, if um, my my uh, credential store, I use a really complex um, hashing algorithm for uh, encrypting my password. Is that something that could impact the fastness of my authentication? 
Yeah, potentially it could. You know, if you're, again, you need to find a balance between security and user experience. So if you're, if you're going through a, uh, a very expensive encryption process um, for maybe something that's not a highly secure or, or high value asset, um, you know, you may be, uh, you may be using too many cycles and too many in the, the uh, encryption process may be too expensive for what you're what you're securing. But the encryption method is one factor that plays into this. Uh, and also where you're doing the encryption or hashing, especially if we're talking about hashing, it's or if we're talking about passwords, it's better to use a hash than encryption. But depending on where you're doing the hash also comes into play. So maybe if you're doing the hashing on the client side, before you send the password down, then you're comparing hashes. You may you may save some time there. Now, if you're doing the hashing on the server side, now of course you're getting a lot of uh, requests in at one time, and all you know this this one server has to do all of this work. You have to take that into consideration um, because now your server is being overloaded because now it has to do hashing functions and then do the comparison and then send back the response. So that's absolutely one point of um, of a bottleneck too. Okay, great, great. So, hey, so um, moving on in your five keys, the next one you talked about was easy. And I think what you're talking about here is that the user experience needs to be, I mean, the, the other word for easy in my book would be intuitive. I, I kind of look at a screen and I know what to do. What, el- what else are you talking about there? Yeah, I mean, listen, life is life is very difficult as, as it is. You know, getting on with our digital lives and uh, getting onto our bank accounts shouldn't be that difficult. You know, the technology is incredibly intelligent and there has the potential to be even more intelligent. So uh, we should be able to easily access our technology without a lot of uh, hoops uh, to go through, uh, so to speak. Um, so basically, you know, we go to a login screen, it's intuitive. You know exactly what you need to do. And you should not have to be challenged if it's uh, if it's not necessary. Uh, so yeah, exactly. Intuitive uh, interface is extremely important too. And on top of that, when we are challenged uh, for step up, you know, maybe I'm sure we're all familiar with these captchas. You know, find click on all the images that that, that have are click on all the images that have a you know bunny rabbit in there. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a robot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not very easy. Spend more time telling people you're not a robot. <laughs> That's exactly what a robot would say. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. But yeah, it's not, it's not exactly easy to to go through a capture. So you know that all plays into uh, into this, where we should be able to uh, easily access our technology without all these you know complicated hoops and picking out these images. That's it's not a good experience. You know, I, I kind of feel like um, with Step Up, one of the things that you have to do, you have to think about your audience and what they're going to be familiar with. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody's familiar with SMS, uh, one-time tokens, one-time passwords, but um, that's not the most secure mechanism. And then you have, for example, authenticator applications. I just, you know, try to picture my my dad using an authenticator application and you know he would get frustrated and not know what to do it's somebody who's in a, uh, an office environment all day that's something that they probably have ex- have experienced somewhere along the way 
That's that's right. And it's um, you know, that's one extra app that you have to maintain on your device too. You know, for example, if it, I'll have a banking application and then I also have a Google Authenticator or a Microsoft Authenticator. So I have to manage two applications, one so I can get into my bank and then another one so I can get the secure tokens to put back into the other application rather than having everything integrated into one where the authenticator is uh, kind of deployed as an SDK as part of my banking application, for example. You know, it's just not, uh, it's not easy. Right. I think that's a great approach. I mean, I'm looking at my phone now and I have four different authenticators. I have Microsoft, I have Google, I have a LastPass one. And then of course I have most, my most important one, which is the one that secures my World of Warcraft account. So the other ones, can, I don't <laughs> I don't care if those get hacked, but man, don't mess with my wow. <laughs> but if it's built into the app, you know, I think that makes it just a much better user experience um, for the user. But I also think that there, there's a component here where some organizations, they get focused on this is what we're going to offer, this one single mechanism. And I think, you know, people need to consider, you know, Jim's dad in this example where there may you may need to support a variety of mechanisms for that step up authentication to make sure that your users can take advantage of it and that they are getting the user experience that works best you know, for them. It's not really a one-size-fits-all uh, scenario right. sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not to make this uh, too salesy, but it's one thing that we take very ser- seriously at, at CallSign. So our, our solution is extremely um, flexible uh, so that we can deploy it and make sure that the right people are getting the right authenticators at the right time. You know, it's um, because we understand and everybody has to understand that not everybody uh, understands things at the same way. And not everyone has access to the same technology either. You know, my, you know, my dad, not to, I hate to call him out here, but he still uses a, so he can't use an authenticator app. So maybe in that case, you know, we need to do an outbound call or we need to do something else for people like that. You know, so, uh, uh, authenticator apps wouldn't be good for Jim's dad or my dad. I'm sorry, did you say your dad uses a flip phone? <sighs> yes, he does. <laughs> so, hey, Mario, the third item that you had was in your top five uh, good top five uh, factors for a good authentication user experience was accuracy. And I yes. just throw in to me, I was actually thinking what you meant, what you mean by accuracy is, you know. It's almost like the opposite the opposite of easy. So I want it to be easy to log in. But if I went to my bank's website and they said log in with your Facebook, I'd be like, you gotta be kidding me. In fact, as a security guy, if I went to my bank's website and they didn't offer two-factor authentication, I'd freak out. I probably would change banks just because I realized that usernames and passwords are are just not enough uh, to secure my finances with. So what kind of did you mean by accuracy? Is it, does it have anything to do with that building user confidence? Yeah, well, well, first of all, if your bank is using a Facebook authenticator or social authenticator, I would say move your money out of there, but chances are somebody will do that for you. So uh, Where do you, before we get to involve that, what about Apple, right? So Apple just launched their credit card and it's really a Goldman Sachs credit card, but you log in with your iPhone and the whole catch there is, um, you know, that they feel that's more secure because they would want to drive people towards Apple Pay and virtualized credit card numbers. Um, but you don't really log into an account, so to speak. It's just really your iCloud account, mm. which does have MFA, right? Um, I think that's one of the requirements to have the Apple Card is that your iCloud account does have to have MFA. 
Um, so maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot here as I, as I bring it up, but I think they're an interesting use case because they're so heavily tied to the iOS ecosystem um, mm-hmm. and kind of pulling that together. iPhone. It's also a great way to lock in people to iPhone because you can't really use the, you know, the, the Apple card outside of um, the iPhone experience. Uh, you, you can't pay a bill without calling them. I mean, there's a lot of things that are kind of missing from a traditional finance experience with it. I'm curious to see what your thoughts on if you've, if you've had a chance to take a look at that or, yet or not. Yeah, I've only heard about it at a, at a high level, but you know, in, in general, like there's a, there's a whole, the world is changing right now. Um, the whole banking industry is changing. There's a whole series, a whole uh, collection, a whole new group of these neo banks, these challenger banks that are, um, that are changing the way that uh, they're authenticating uh, users. They're changing the way that users are registering uh, for accounts, and they're really changing the way that, that people are banking. And Apple is just you know one example of them as well. Um, and it, it it's it's very interesting, and it's very it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in this space as well. Because again, not only they change your banking, but they're also changing all these security processes as well. You know, and they're making. They're making our devices, our phones, really more and more critical. And it's not just um, not just banking. I mean, even in the automotive industry too. Now, I think Lincoln is coming out next year with uh, um, the the phone as a key. So I, now, my phone is accessing is is going to be critical for me to access my bank account. My phone is going to be access or critical for me to access and even drive my car. Um, and even to access locks at home, you know, with Bluetooth technology or NFC, I'm able to unlock my you know, door lock at home and then get in. So really changing the whole experience and really binding us to physical devices. So not only do we uh, not only is authentication changing, but then we also need to look at uh, how are we binding physical people and how are we uh, acknowledging who these people are first? You know, like, how are we registering them, make sure we get the right people? and not bots or malicious people? And then how are we linking a person to a device? Are we doing, that, are we doing proper maintenance going forward and, and doing a strong link, let's say every 30 to 90 days to make sure that this phone still belongs to this person, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't wanna to get too far off the, the thing here, but I think it does play into accuracy for that authentication step because the phone is the key thing is interesting to me. So I have, uh, you know, two cars that use phones as keys. And I don't have to authenticate to my phone to unlock the car. I just have to be near it from a proximity standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as I have the phone with me, I can start the car and drive away, <laughs> right? So if, I, if someone stole my phone, then there really isn't a check at that point uh, to make sure that it's actually Jeff and his phone in the car and not Jim with Jeff's phone in the car. And it works for both of those. It's very, it's a very interesting way to kind of approach it. Um, You know, what I think about that, Jeff, is that it's no more or less secure than a key. It's just more convenient. Yeah. It would be more convenient because if your phone is dead, it's probably not more convenient. If you drive. And there's physical backup components to it, right? You've got a swipe card, proximity card, that kind of thing is typically, you know, the backup for a phone is key if, if it's not an actual key. Um, so I had both of those as well, but I just thought it was, you know, that's kind of an interesting way to, to talk about, you know, when Mario you're talking about binding people to devices, um, I think that's, that's a super interesting topic that's just going to get more and more important as we go along. 
Yeah, and, and you know the the point about the key, uh, it, it's very true. But at least with these smart devices, we have the opportunity to now make sure that the right person is in possession of the device. Yeah, I mean, you use the device characteristics, right? My the cadence of my walk, the way the accelerometers report that, um, you know, things like that. I think it's super interesting. Um, yeah, I know number number four in your list here was intelligence. Can you talk a little about what you mean by that? Yeah, intelligence. Uh, it was basically the ability to understand and recognize various threats. So what I mean by a threat is, you know, maybe uh, maybe there's a threat intel platform that's recognizing that there's some uh, denial of service attack or some other attack coming from a certain IP range. Now, as a bank, you know, we're seeing that somebody's trying to access our, you know, our systems from that IP range. Well, we should be able to recognize these real threats that are out in the wild and then sort of adapt our authentication journey based on this external fee, this risk signal, and say, all right, you know, username and password are, are, are checking out, but maybe we, you know, this is coming from a suspicious location because of what's going on currently, we'll step you up. Also have the ability to recognize whether or not there's bots that are trying to register and open up accounts, um, know, with synthetic identities or maybe somebody malicious uh, got access to hacked identities and now they're trying to register for accounts uh, or even log on with, you know, leaked credentials. So the systems need to be able to bring in a level of intelligence uh, from various sources and and make accurate decisions based on these feeds. You know, even, you know, if I, uh, if I'm trying to log into a system and my, and you know, my email address is found on have I been home.com, you know, because I, it was leaked on some, uh, some other hack, you know, last year. Right. Um, that should signal that this ID is a little bit risky because it was found on, you know, found as part of this, you know, uh, this hack. Now she's set me up or change my, um, change my login journey somehow a little bit because um, I'm slightly more risky. And so that's what I mean about intelligence, you know, really being able to detect um, threats, bots from real people, and then, um, you know, and adapt. Yeah, I mean, personally, I think this is one of the big reasons why um, developers should not go down the path of trying to build their own authentication system or use whatever kind of free utilities are out there for authentication or built into uh, their, you know, server container. Uh, and they need to look at, you know, full-fledged IAM systems because there's so many, these threats are are changing over time and you need to continuously adapt. And that's why it's better to um, get a tool built by a company that's focused on nothing but securing the authentication journey. Yeah, you're, you're right, Jim. I mean, the developers that are working in organizations, they have business apps and really cool apps that they want to be working on. Uh, there's no way that they can be keeping up with all of the changing business requirements that, oh, and also, by the way, uh, continue to develop the security system and, and adapt for all these new threats, as well as stay on top of all the brand new technology with AI and ML. It makes sense to delegate in, in certain areas to the experts and let, let these other organizations hone in and get all their fraud and security experts to work on encryption systems to work on authentication systems. And then you have your developers focus solely on you know, making sure that they're they're writing the best possible applications for the business. Absolutely. So number five was flexible. Mm-hmm. 
what, what were you thinking there in terms of flexibility is, you know, in my mind, I, I started going over to the flexibility on the app developer side, but we're talking about the user experience here. So what, what, what about the authentication user experience needs to be flexible? Yeah, so I think we kind of started to bleed into it a little bit when we are talking about easiness, but uh, flexibility is really um, bending and flexing on different things. So not only on, on risk and, and intelligence, but, um, you know, maybe as a user, I, you know, and consent is going to be more and more um, of, a, of a hot topic. You know, as, as a user, I do not consent to you as a corporation having access to certain data about me. So maybe... You, you're using a fingerprint authenticator. Well, I don't feel I don't feel safe using a fingerprint authenticator, so I don't want I don't consent to doing that with your organization. Okay, well, you don't want to lose a customer, so your system should be able to flex enough and say, well, um, fingerprint authenticator is uh, is not authorized for this user. Let's uh, let's flex to something else and use a different sort of um, authentication mechanism or put them down a different flow. So we're still getting the same level of, of uh, authentication and, and making sure that we are accurately identifying this person, even though they said no to fingerprints. Um, so maybe they want to use behavioral based only. So a system needs to be able to recognize that and, and really respect the user's you know, uh, consent choices on what they're okay using, what they're okay giving us as an organization. Absolutely. So, yeah, just to, to kind of touch on the, the flexibility that I was thinking of, you know, applications are built by developers and they, um, and primarily what we've been talking about here today is the external type websites and, and phone apps and things like that, but customer facing or maybe partner facing, not employee facing. I think it's pretty clear that the, uh, SAML2 standard plus the you know emerging standard, or it's not really an emerging standard, but OpenID Connect, but it's becoming more and more commonplace in the enterprise. But in my experience anyway, SAML 2.0 has, has got the lion's share of, of integrations for internal. But from an external, if I'm a developer building a, an important uh, e-commerce or application facing my customers, I want to interact, I, I want to control the user experience, right? I want it to be strongly branded. I want it to look like the rest of my application. I don't want the customer to feel like they left my website to go authenticate and then they're coming back. You know, obviously the social ID stuff is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about stuff that has to be secured beyond that. Um, but I want to control that experience. So I want it to exist within my front end and I want to interface with uh, an authentication system using APIs. So what are your thoughts there? I mean, what are you seeing? You're right, Jim. Yeah, the, the ability to have a solution that can easily fit into your current uh, system um, is also very important. So again, as you're, as you're integrating a system, proper, uh, properly documented uh, REST APIs so developers can easily integrate your solution is going to be um, very critical uh, for for technology adoption. So there's there's also that aspect too. There's a flexibility from the user perspective, but then there's also the flexibility uh, from the from the developers internal uh, perspective as well for them to now 
love your technology and want to work with it because not only is it providing the proper level of security, uh, but it's also fun and easy to work with. We don't need we don't need to burden uh, these uh, developers with complicated SDKs and complicated APIs. Package everything up, abstract it uh, appropriately, and then uh, provide uh, powerful documentation, you know, swagger documentation where they can interact with APIs, understand how the technology and the APIs work, and then integrate it uh, quickly and easily. That's also very important. Wise words, Mario. <laughs> if only that was the way, yeah. I mean, I think sometimes a lot of times developers kind of take it upon their shoulders to do things. Um, and I think that's where, you know, governance tends to play a role as part of the, the overall security and IAM strategy, making sure that there is a unified approach to doing that, or at least a standardized approach to making sure that, you know, people are taking advantage of the best practices when it comes to authentication, um, even authorization, those sorts of things. And trying to make sure that, like you said before, right, the developers are building the best application they can using, you know, the best security that's available to them from an organization-wide perspective instead of spinning something up of their own. That's right. All right. Well, I think we could probably leave it there for now. So um, if I'm going to recap Mario's top five authentication things for a better experience, which I'm sure you want to trademark that name. <laughs> it's going to be fast, easy, accurate, intelligent, and flexible. All things I think that, you know, pretty much anyone could agree with. So certainly appreciate your thoughts on that. Um, certainly want to thank you for joining us here. And for folks who are, you know, interested in learning more about CallSign and what they do, you can find them on the web at callsign.com. Um, also want to give a shout out to listener Neil, who shot us an email uh, this morning. Uh, around a question he had around the management of identity in a multi-cloud environment. That's a topic that Jim and I are going to be talking about in an upcoming episode. So definitely want to stay tuned for that. And as always, if there are any other questions or feedback, you can always send them over to questions at identityatthecenter.com. Mario, thanks for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. This was great. Hey, Mario, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, um, what's the best way? Is it Twitter or uh, email? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, name is Mario Dusai, D-U-S-A-J. And uh, you can email me directly at, uh, at my call sign address. That's uh, mario.dusai at uh, callsign.com. Don't be shy. Okay. Free to ask me any questions. And I'll be sure to put some of this information in the show notes as well so people can, can find it there. Um, all right. So we're going to call it for this week. Uh, appreciate everyone that's listening out there. You know, feel free to share the news, like, subscribe, five-star ratings, tell your, tell Jim's dad, tell Mario's dad, uh, tell all your dads, <laughs> tell everyone. Uh, certainly want to you know, keep this going. If you told my dad to leave a five-star rating, he'd probably say, what is that? <laughs> what's, what's a star? What's a rating? <laughs> and what's five? What's a podcast? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you down the road. You've been listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. To access all episodes, visit identityatthecenter.com 